Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, folks, and people to this episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. My name is Anthony Taylor. I'm the managing partner at SME Strategy. We facilitate strategic planning sessions. And part of the great part of my job is I get to speak to very cool strategy leaders and learn about very cool companies. And our guest today is exactly that. I'm joined today by Grant Morgan. Grant, how's it going today? Living the dream. Thanks for having me, Anthony. Uh, awesome, dude. So uh, Grant is the CEO and co-founder at R0. Their company is doing very cool things and they're blowing up. Grant, tell our listeners a little bit about what keeps you busy now and a little bit about your background that got you to where we are. Yeah, absolutely. So R0 is fundamentally a biosafety technology company. So we exist to help our customers create safer indoor spaces for their occupants, guests, employees, uh, and, and the like, and ultimately reduce sick days. So, you know, what we're doing is really modernizing this sort of archaic uh, industry disinfection that's been dominated by commodity chemical manufacturers for the past hundred plus years. And we're doing this with modern technologies like IoT capabilities, like data science and machine learning, specifically modern software experiences. And we're bringing what we know from tech uh, and marrying it with the, the best in breed hospital grade disinfection technologies. And so what we've created is really this, this continuous autonomous disinfection ecosystem. And so what I mean by that is we have products that are installed all over a given space and those products are, are collecting information about how that space is being used. Then we are identifying and sort of calculating, quantifying the risk of infection based on how people are interacting within this space where the traffic's flowing, uh, what's happening within the building. And then in real time, we're automating the use of our products uh, to combat that risk and ultimately keep people safe. So it's been a, a pretty wild journey from the beginning of the pandemic to here. But uh, you know, I think we've, we've seen the world has changed in, in a number of ways. And uh, there's, there's a huge appetite for uh, sort of a new standard for keeping people safe in indoor spaces. And we're here to fill that void. Cool. And that's on the product side, on the company and leadership side, your, your company has grown very rapidly, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, um, it's surreal. Uh, and within the last month or two, I, I've, I've had this, it's a little bit disconcerting experience where I, I don't know everybody in the company anymore. And, uh, but yeah, we started with three founders in April of 2020 and today at the beginning of November in 2021, about 18, 19 months later, we are now at 102 employees and we'll be 135 by the end of the year. That's amazing. Well, it really, it really just shows, you know, a great product with a great system and a great structure can really like do wonders. Like there are definitely needs and you guys met that. Did you think that that was going to be your trajectory when you, you know, got your engineering degree and you're saying, oh, here's where I'm going to be 10, 11 years later or whatever. No, I had no clue. Uh, I, I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, you know, <laughs> but uh I think it, it, this is an interesting, like R0 is an interesting sort of amalgamation of my past experiences. But I, truth be told, when I applied for college, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, where I went to school, uh, Cal Poly, you you had to declare your major when you apply. And I was like, well, I, I like math and I'm, uh, or I like Legos and I'm good at math. So like mechanical engineering sounds great. And uh, 
really fell in love with it when I, when I dug in at school and, and loved, um, you know, I think I made the right choice, but what ended up happening was, you know, I, I could have gone into, you know, the auto industry or oil and energy. And, but I, I decided that I wanted to spend my time and energy working on something that at the end of the day benefited people humans in some way, shape or form. And so I went into the medical device and pharmaceutical industry. So uh, I did product development for a large company called Abbott for a couple of years, left there, went to a smaller medical device startup, ran product development for our neurovascular value stream. Um, so we were a contract manufacturer for you know, Stryker, J&J, Medtronic, all the big dogs. And we would basically take a napkin sketch and, and turn it into something real, get them through sort of FDA trials, and then uh, you know, transfer the manufacturing uh, to steady state. And then I left that industry, the healthcare industry, uh, went to uh, tech and, and uh, started my first company. And that's where you know, I, I had zero experience with, with software product development, but I fell in love with it very quickly. Like it, was, it was pretty profound to me that you could kind of mash your fleshy fingers on a keyboard, push some code and like fundamentally change how people interact with the world. So at my first company, I led the product and engineering teams, grew that company until uh, we got acquired by Allstate. And so that was sort of, that really lit my entrepreneurial fire. Um, but at that, that first company, we did on-demand technical services. So we had a network of you know 20,000 plus independently contracted technicians all over North America and Europe. And when you would you know, break your phone or, or need your, your smart home IoT system installed or, uh, or smart lock put on your door or whatever, press a button, we'd send someone out to you and, and, and they'd perform that technical service on demand. And so, you know, that's where I got exposure to IoT. That's where I got exposure to software and, you know, left, you know, after we got acquired by Allstate, left, started another company, fast forward to the beginning of the pandemic, we were kind of watching the world fall apart. You know, my co-founders and I got together and figured we wanted to do something to help, but, uh, this is uh, what we're doing at R0 has elements. Uh, it has the altruistic aspect from the healthcare experience, which is really, really awesome. And, and you know, human health is at the core of what we do. Um, so get to flex that uh, experience a little bit. Fundamentally, all of our products are IoT enabled. They collect and generate data. We process that data with some you know, sophisticated data science and we build software as well. So it's this sort of full circle experience for me that leverages a lot of uh, you know, uh, things that I've done in a quote-unquote past life. But it's, it's, it's just been this alignment of stars, so to speak, you know, since we started R0. And, and I, I feel incredibly grateful and lucky to have the opportunity to, to do this. But it's, it's exceeded my wildest expectations. That's awesome. Well, let's, let's keep it going. Cause I think that there's a, a cool market, but you know, that was my reflection as well. It's one of those things as they interview a lot of senior leaders and, and, you know, successful people is like their journey is the culmination of all of their experiences. And it is not like one plus one. It is like, you know, the whole or whole is greater than the parts. Yeah, there we go. And so what I think is really cool is how you've taken all of those independent components. You've mashed your fleshy fingers on a keyboard, you know, taken the really cool parts of entrepreneurship, which I, I, I want to invite our leaders to say, it's like, it's like not lost, you know, there's going to be new opportunities. Like if we talk about the metaverse and we talk about NFTs, like there's just new tech. And I'm sure Grant, you and I could talk about that for a long time, but don't get me going on crypto. I'm going to, I'm going <laughs> to stop you there. But I think that it's beholden for leaders to look at where the world is. And as you do your kind of external analysis, Hey, like what are new opportunities for us? You happen to be in a great position where you're like, Hey, I can like hack this up and we're going to see if it works because I've got a purpose. It's was probably started it as fun and important and then turned successful. Fair to say. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and like you nailed it and I'll elaborate on that a little bit and kind of corroborate what you're saying. But, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, all three of, of us co-founders were doing something different. Uh, ben Boyer, one of my co-founders who's been a venture capitalist for 25 years, uh, started a venture capital firm that he's been running for that, that whole time, left to come operate with us here uh, because, you know, what we're doing is, is that important. My other co-founder, Eli, is a serial entrepreneur, started a couple companies, and, and you know, he, he stopped what he was doing to come uh, join. But what was interesting is like, we realized that, you know, there are moments in time, there are moments throughout history where like the world changes forever. And, you know, in that moment in call it March, when we started ideating on this, we realized that, you know, this pandemic was one of those moments. Um, and so we started thinking about like, how will the world change? And, you know, you can draw a lot of parallels to historical events and start to derive, uh, do some pattern matching and start to derive uh, your hypothesis on how that world's going to change. But we started looking at things like uh, the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. And, you know, out of that came essentially modern hand hygiene. There was that, that societal change and that habit that we adopted. And then you fast forward to like 9-11, which is, you know, not a pandemic, but a terribly tragic event, um, changed everything uh, for Homeland Security. So, after 9-11, we basically stood up the entire Homeland Security apparatus. Uh, so hired you know, 14,000 TSA agents, put air marshals on flights. Um, you still can't take a, a, a water bottle or wear your shoes through security. And then there was a whole private sector that popped up uh, to support that apparatus. So think about like the palantirs of the world. And so, you know, we started to think that, look, like the world is going to change, but there will be massive societal and infrastructural changes coming out of this pandemic and started to think about what those were and hypothesized that they would be around two things, really trust and safety. So the safety piece is a little bit more obvious. You know, how do we physically create safer spaces for people to be in? And then the trust piece is a little bit less obvious, but it's born out of the idea that there will be lingering psychological scar tissue in the eyes and the minds of the public. And people aren't just going to want to go back to where uh, all the spaces where we spend most of our time, people are going to want to know that something differentiated is being done and that there's a new standard to keep them safe in those indoor spaces. And so, you know, with that sort of idea, that hypothesis, we were kind of off to the races. And as we dug in, we realized like how much opportunity there really was. You know, one of the big realizations we had, and actually the original idea for R0 was, was not what we are today. It was actually my first company I cracked. It was I cracked for disinfection. So we were going to go spin up a network of independent contractors, equip them with some sort of technology, deploy them to pr provide some sort of service that's above and beyond what a normal janitorial or custodial staff would do. And so, you know, we, we discovered uh, UVC and we were like, this is it. Like, this is the gold standard in hospitals. There's a mountain of scientific evidence proving its efficacy. You know, uh, it's over a hundred years old. It's tried and true, and and let's you know democratize access to this this you know gold standard in hospitals, this best in class disinfection technology. So we went to go buy you know a bunch of these UVC devices that are sold in the hospitals, and found out that they're like one hundred twenty five thousand dollars. And so we thought the idea was dead in the water. And I ended up that weekend like falling down the rabbit hole, looking at this thing and saying like that's a light bulb on wheels with the timer. There's no way it costs one hundred twenty five grand to make. And so kind of reverse engineered it, back of the envelope, figured out like, hey, we can actually make this for a lot less and offer it at a price that's fair, reasonable, and accessible to uh, organizations of all shapes and sizes from you know large enterprises and corporations to schools, to hotels, restaurants, and the like. And so, um, yeah, that's how, we, that's how we got started. 
So it, what I'm super interested in, and in, in listener, as you think about this, beyond the success story, because there will be, you know, it's kind of hard to replicate unless that magic in a bottle. But I want to highlight from, from Grant is like his engineer mindset, dare I call it an engineer mindset, that was reverse engineering, so to speak, the problem. Like, here's the environment, here's the context, here's the issue, here's the space. I heard a shift from, hey, let's like disrupt the janitorial space and take what I already know versus, hey, like there's like a chemical hospital machinery type thing and saying, hey, what are the drivers of this problem or what will be the drivers of this problem? So the trust component, safety component, which goes beyond kind of like the dollars and cents piece, it's the consumer mindset around it. Also looking at like, what is the current state of the market and saying, hey, there's this machine that has probably been in place at the time was like best in class because you couldn't get something better 20 years ago. Now, you know, you can pretty much get anything to do anything at any time. You just need to be able to code it. So the fact that you had skills was great. And then looking at saying, hey, what is action happened? scope of new environment action happened scope of new environment action happened so then you guys were smart enough and aware enough to take a step back strategically so here's my challenge to you as the listener is as you go through your strategic planning process don't just think linearly as to like your tasks what do i need to do within my four walls what grant i think you and your team did really well and you happen to be very well positioned because you had kind of a timeout is saying hey like let's look at the entire map of where we're playing and where are the greatest opportunities because we're looking outside of our brains. Is that, you know, kind of how you guys did it? Absolutely. I, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know, to, to kind of summarize that you like, you start with the need and like you, you have to be solving a problem that people are willing to pay uh, to have solved. And as we were thinking first principles, it's like human health is universal. And that's also the blessing and the curse of this business is that it's perfectly horizontal. <laughs> so it's, it provides, it presents its own challenges, but yeah, you start with the problem you figure out like, okay, well, you know, human health is universal. And as we dug into, we learned more and more and, and realized more and more, but we had a couple of light bulb moments that really like validated that we were, you know, there was opportunity here and that we were onto something, but you know, one of them was, I'm sure you experienced the same thing, but at the beginning of the pandemic, like, you know, we were wiping down all of our groceries with, you know, Clorox wipes and stuff. And like, you know, I'd get home from the grocery store and like, I had, you know, take my hazmat suit off, leave it in the garage and scrub down and stuff. And, and I had this realization that like, look, we're still using chemicals. And these are the same chemicals that we use to fight the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic. The point being like this, this space is completely void of like technology and innovation. Like there's gotta be a better way uh, than chemicals. And, you know, another realization that we had along the way that is really the foundation of what we're doing is that humans are an indoor species. Like we spend 90 plus percent of our lives indoors. And the implications of that are that the indoor spaces where we do spend our time have a massive impact on our overall health. And, um, you know, I would even argue that your facilities manager, the person who's making decisions about the infrastructure of the buildings where you work, play, learn, live, that person has a greater impact on your overall health than your doctor does. You know, I think COVID catalyzed this paradigm shift in society where we are now aware for the first time ever of that relationship between indoor spaces and human health. Um, you know, we haven't been able to go out in public and into these shared spaces for nearly two years. And... And so people have made that association in a way that they've never made it before. Another realization we had, kind of the third one was like, we've done a terrible job at keeping ourselves safe in our natural habitat as humans, indoor spaces. And started looking at like, you know, thinking, what does this business look like after COVID? We looked at before COVID. And before COVID, 
40 million Americans got the flu every year. And somehow we've just accepted that that's normal, you know, and, and you dig into the stats and like MRSA or staph infections kill more people annually than, than AIDS, Parkinson's, emphysema, and murder combined. And, you know, sick days cost the U.S. economy over $600 billion a year. You know, there's this massive economic incentive um, to keep people healthy on top of the, you know, the, the fundamental sort of like human health benefits of, of what we're doing as well. And so, you know, all of those things combined, like looking at like this market is ripe for destruction. You know, disinfection is one of the last, I think, large industries that hasn't seen the sophistication and technology that it's measured in management, you know, like other industries, like, you know, auto industry, what, you know, Tesla uh, did to the auto industry, what SpaceX has done to aerospace and, and, and the like. And so pointing the opportunity was there and then started thinking about like the economic drivers, economic incentives behind uh, the solutions that we would bring, uh, bring to the table and, and like, you know, would people be willing to pay for this? And, and you know, the, the, I think the unequivocal answer is like, yes, even if there was just a human health benefit, I think people would absolutely be willing to pay for it. But when there's the economic benefit of reducing sick days and improving the productivity of, of any business's most valuable asset, it's the people. And so I think, you know, we, we, we realized we were on to something and operated, you know, with the urgency, like there were lives at stake because there literally are. Yeah, we're off to the races and, and all of those things have come true in spades. And, you know, we, we are coming out of COVID, thankfully, like starting to get our arms wrapped around it to a larger extent than, you know, especially a year ago. Um, this thing's going to become endemic. We're going to live with it forever. But, you know, COVID aside, this is an opportunity for us as a society to come out of this better, stronger, healthier than ever before. And, you know, I think if you look at it from, from a macro level too, you know, we've, we've lost over 5 million lives now due to the coronavirus pandemic. And like, shame on us if we let them die in vain. If we go back to normal, you know, it, it, we haven't learned anything. And so this is an opportunity to, to make a step change, like a, a monumental improvement in how we keep people safe in indoor spaces and, and, and you know, benefit humans all over the planet, make us all healthier, produ more productive and, uh, and happier ultimately. Hey, sorry to interrupt. It's Anthony here again. I just wanted to let you know if you're enjoying today's episode, I'd love it if you could give us a review and a comment to let us know where you're listening from. It means a lot to us. It helps us with the algorithm. It also helps us get into the hands of more people so that we can keep bringing great guests onto the show. So please do that. Also, if you or your team are planning a strategic planning offsite coming up, please reach out to us. We'd be happy to see if we're a fit to facilitate to support you and your team getting on the same page and getting clear about where you want to go. So you can visit smestrategy.net or click the link in the description. We'd appreciate both of those things. And now get us back to the episode. Yeah, I get that. Well, one of the things that I had a question about earlier, 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 when we were talking about like the amalgamation of all this tech was like the process of introducing new tech. But I, because sometimes it's it's hard to introduce a new technology because people are resistant to change. And I think one of the things that, you know, through our conversation is, you know, yes, it was new tech. Yes, it was, you know, there was a cost savings, but you and I know that cost savings aren't only the thing, but it, you know, the timing happened to be right the problem was big enough that people were, I would imagine or assert that people were willing to throw money at kind of any solution that was going to be an improvement. And in your case, you know, there's a very 
both short and immediate term benefit, but also a long-term benefit. And then like the story is clear. So it's not just like an incremental, Hey, this is a slight benefit and it's worth, you know, you're going to save a bit of money. This is a huge, huge transformational change that for those that actually recognize the pain slash pleasure benefit that they could get. It, it was clear. And, and I would also assert that that's probably why your company has grown so quickly is because there's a, you know, it's a, it's a great business at a great time and it's got great tech and it's got all the stuff. So my question to you now is given everything that you got to where you are now, given where you're looking in the future, how are you structuring your kind of value stream for the company because the value stream at three people is way different than the value stream at hundred people without giving away any secret sauce is like, how do you approach uh, developing value streams for organizations now, as we move from pandemic to endemic and, 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 you know, building that up. So it's sustainable, I guess that's the question. Yeah. That tr- yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think you're absolutely right. We had the tailwinds of the pandemic when we launched, but, you know, uh, as I mentioned a, a minute ago, the opportunity is so much, much more larger, so much more large than... Uh, I, got, I got you on words, that one. Words are hard. I'm a numbers guy. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it, the opportunity is so much bigger than, than, uh, than COVID alone. And so as we think about structuring value streams, you have to think about, you first pick the North Star, right? And our North Star is, is reducing sick days. And if we can walk into a business, like it's very easy, if we can prove that we can reduce sick days, um, it's very easy for us to, for any business to wrap their head around, like, you know, what's the ROI on this? Like it becomes a no brainer. As we think about like, how do we, you know, like, everything we do is geared towards like, is this going to help us reduce sick days more or not? And so when we think about our, our, our value streams and our product roadmap, which largely drives our value stream uh, products and services uh, largely, but we think about it in the, in the sense of like, okay, well, how it, like first principles thinking, how is disease spread? And, and we know how disease is spread. It's, it's physics and epidemiology. They're, you know, fields of study uh, around this and diseases are spread. Pathogens are spread through three vectors of transmission. There's air surfaces and person to person. So everything that we're doing uh, from a product perspective, all of our, our hardware products are, are, are uh, combating uh, risk or, or reducing risk across one or more of those different vectors of transmission. So we think about you know aerosol transmission, surface transmission, and uh, and then you start to pick out like the largest pieces of the uh, of the pie. So you know what what is the most common you know illness or or what's causing the most you know pain to customers. And yesterday it was COVID. Tomorrow it, you know it, it'll be COVID for a while. But but I think that the you know, it, independent of COVID, you think about like the seasonal flu and common cold. Um, those are the two biggest, biggest issues. Um, those are both transmitted, the respiratory issues and they're transmitted through the air. And so, you know, there's a, you know, there's more value that we can unlock by, you know, combating the, the transmission of those two things. And therefore we should probably, you know, orient around uh, air disinfection solutions. And you can go down the list um, and, and start to think about how to extrapolate that, but that's kind of how we think about it. But it's also important to think about sort of the business model and like, you know, and this goes back to kind of what you, what you called out earlier, but you start with the end state and the goal, start with the outcome you want and you back out of that and figure out how do we actually get there? You know, our goal is, is we want to build a recurring revenue business. And so, you know, that informs 
the business model. And so, you know, we have a hardware as a service business model where, you know, uh, we sell the hardware for a small dollar amount relative to, you know, other things on the market that are similar. Um, and then we, we, we actually charge a monthly subscription for sort of like infection prevention, infection prevention as a service. And so it's a very different business if we have recurring revenue uh, as opposed to if, if we have sort of a transactional business where it's one and done. That also informs how you build the company. So customer success is a is a massive part of, of what we do and, and making sure that when we sell something to a customer, that that's not the end of our our relationship with them. That's actually the beginning. And we so we've invested heavily in building relationships with existing customers and doing things even outside of like what what we actually do or sell as a, as a business. So, you know, we want to be partners where if a school has a, a coronavirus outbreak, for example, they can call us up and we can bring our chief scientist, who's the head of OSHA for over a decade, has taught at Harvard and Oxford and stuff. And we can get them on a call for 30 minutes and say, hey, here's what I'd recommend you do. That's not what we're selling, but that adds value to that relationship and that, that customer is more likely to uh, extend their relationship with us when, when the time's right. And so, so point being, like you start with the outcome, figure out you know, how you get there, you know, what do you want to look like as a business long-term and then, and then back out of that. And then you can start to, that informs how you structure the, the organization as well. But um, a little bit of everything is involved with that. No, I love that. Well, I think it's, it, what I'm really taking away from our conversation is it's no different than every other business. It's just the fact that you've had to go through it so fast and, and what's cool about it. And what I kind of reflect on and I think about is that because your team has gone from like, you know, zero to a hundred, very, very fast, both literally and figuratively, the point of your spear, so to speak, is very sharp. Whereas I see other organizations over time, it's kind of been dulled as in, you know, who is our target customer? Are we a hundred percent sure? What is the problem that we're solving? Are we a hundred percent sure? What is our model? Is our, are we a hundred percent sure? Is it structured for where we want to go? And what's cool is you've been able to, you know, rapid prototype, put all that stuff together in like such a cohesive way. I think that's the thing that stands out is your business model, your value proposition, how you deliver it and how you're structured to do that is so cohesive because it's just been built that way intentionally. Whereas other organizations, legacy organizations, you know, those big ones, the ones especially that are disrupted have lost that that design, the design doesn't support their objectives or their objectives aren't as clear. And it's allowing fast movers like you or you as the listener to be able to build something to kind of supplant or be able to get a piece of that market. You, you nailed it. And I think one of the, one of the things that's, that's been really important for, for you know, any modicum of success that we've been able to achieve is like, you have to accept that we don't know everything and you have to be willing to, to be wrong and expect to be wrong. But the implications of that are, that what's most important is finding out when you're wrong and finding out fast. And then the most important thing, and, and this is what I tell the company, it's like, the, it's not important that you failed. It's important. What's important is how you, how you respond and how you react. And, and like, so if you can figure out that you made a mistake very quickly, really kind of diagnose the, the root cause, what did we learn? And, and then, you know, pick yourself back up, try something new based on what your new understanding and new learning. But you know, we practice sort of like a very experimental approach to, to building and growing this business. And there's a, a, a book that I would highly recommend uh, for really anyone. So there, there's a book that I would highly recommend 
to all your listeners and to you, uh, really anyone who's, who's trying to build a business, but it's called good, uh, good to great by Jim Collins. Yeah. And there's a, there's a excerpt, a chapter or whatever it's called bullets than cannonballs. And so the idea is, um, you know, I, I actually have this like baked into onboarding basically, like I send it out to everybody, but want to really bake this into our culture. But the idea is like a bullet is it, it basically a, a test, an experiment, but it's, it's low cost, low distraction. It's, uh, it has a measurable goal and outcome. And point being, you, you put you know, a minimal amount of resources behind testing an idea. And you, you, you know, once you test it, then you realize, yeah, this actually works. Then you put more resources behind it, fire a cannonball, essentially. And so you know, bullets, you know, you, you can fire a couple bullets very quickly and learn a ton. And then, you know, double down on what's working and kill what's not. And so any part of the organization can practice this and should practice this. It's, you know, uh, from product development, iterating through what should our features and functionality be? What should uh, the products be um, that we're bringing to market? Finance and accounting can do it too with, you know, testing a new, uh, a new process or, or the like. Um, sales, our sales motion is very, very experimental where, you know, we have this feedback loop built in, like, what are we hearing from the, from customers? What, you know, what do they want? What do they need? What message is resonating? What's not? And we're constantly, constantly iterating on our sales collateral and things like that. And so point being like, we, we, we are very, very experimental and it's, you know, we have that to thank for a lot of the really important pillars of, uh, of, of this business strategically moving forward. And one example of that is like, we, we actually had no idea that schools would be good targets. Um, and at the beginning, you know, at your, you, know, you asked the question, uh, who is our target customer and how do we know? Like, you're just guessing until you actually, until someone pays for what you've what, what you're selling. And, and so at the beginning, we, we intentionally cast a really wide net and, you know, we had a couple of hypotheses. We, you know, we were thinking like, well, restaurants will love this because, you know, because, you know, it'll get people back in the doors. Uh, we think, well, so, you know, we got an intro to a school, they have to reopen there's, so there's urgency, you know, the kids are, are very vulnerable. They're sitting in a classroom all day together. Uh, so the risk is really high. So let's try that too. Let's try all these different markets. And we learned so much from doing that. And we got our, you know, the, the most heat from schools early on. So we doubled down on that. And then, you know, as the market is changing over time, you know, one of the things we learned was like, you know, restaurants were terrible customers because they were all closed and they didn't have any cash. They had this, this existential crisis, uh, essentially, and, and it breaks my heart to even say that. But so we stopped targeting restaurants uh, at the beginning. Um, now they're picking back up. But, but you know, right now, all the enterprises are going through their sort of return to work plans. And so you know, we, six months ago, the conversation with, with the large you know, uh, Fortune 500 enterprise is a very different conversation than the ones we're having today. And so you have to keep experimenting, keep iterating, but always be building that core of things that you know work. And then don't be afraid to change things. Um, I think, you know, I, I very much subscribe to the idea of like uh, reversible decision-making uh, or, or understanding if a decision is reversible or irreversible. It's a Bezos. I think Jeff Bezos wrote about this in his... The level his, one or level two uh, decision or... Yeah, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, exactly. And, and so like, like, what are the consequences of making this decision? Is this something where, you know, we're going to go hire a team of 10 people and, and, you know, therefore it's somewhat irreversible with like this, you know, you're not going to go hire 10 people, say, Oh, never mind, And, and, you know, uh, and, and, uh, then move on. But, or is it like, Hey, we're going to try an email campaign to a hundred people. Like that's a reversible decision. Like if that doesn't work, it's like, all right, well, on to the next one. Um, no big deal. Um, and so the rigor and the effort with which you have 
evaluate ideas, plan uh, before you act. Um, it should be consummate with the level of sort of reversibility of that decision. And so, you know, if it's if it's you know low consequence, don't spend a ton of time, you know, wasting cycles, spinning cycles, and and uh, and uh, ruminating over it for too long. Just do it and see what happens. Um, if it's a, a big, massive structural change. Yeah, it probably deserves more, more, more time, thought, uh, planning, uh, and effort. Cool. I love that. I mean, I think that's one of the really cool things. I believe organizations should be more entrepreneurial because it helps you be more uh, proactive and reactive to changes as you need to make them. And then one of the other things I think is really important is the, the culture of, of like investing in that culture of making sure people know they can make mistakes, but it's not a mistake for mistake's sake as long as you learn from it. So Grant, in uh, one minute or less, what is your number one like leadership kind of thing that you're like, oh man, like leadership lesson as you've grown from three to, you know, 110 and where can people get a hold of you? Absolutely. So in, I'll try to be one minute, but uh, biggest leadership lesson, empower your people, push the decision-making down into the organization as close to the work that's getting done as possible. And in order to do that, you have to increase context. And, and if you increase the context, you can increase autonomy. And that's how you move fast. When you don't have all these different layers and meetings to, to make a decision, when you have smart people that make good decisions and have good judgment, and they have the context necessary to know what is our you know, company doing right now? How does my job relate to that company? And what's the part, the role that I play in helping the company achieve their goals? And then trust those people to make the decisions. And when they when they do make the decisions and, and they're wrong because they inevitably will be at, at, at some point in time, ask what we learned and, and figure out how to correct course quickly. But, uh, but fundamentally, it's the, you know, I had a really hard time early in my career as I was transitioning to a manager, like relinquishing control uh, of the how especially, um, but you know, focusing on outcomes, providing the context and, and hiring the right people and trusting them was how I got leverage as a manager and how uh, you know, our business largely has been able to to scale so quickly is is we do have a very uh, autonomous uh, uh, culture uh, where we do trust our people. But uh, where to find me? Uh, find me on LinkedIn, Grant Morgan. Drop us a note at r0.com. That's r-z-e-r-o.com. We'd love to chat. Awesome. Thanks, Grant. It's been a pleasure. We'll save crypto and NFTs for the next time we chat. But really looking six hours. There we go. <laughs> but I look forward to seeing more about what R0 has in the future, both, uh, you know, from a leadership perspective, from your perspective, but also what it does to, to the market and the spaces that we operate in. So Grant, thanks so much for joining me today. Awesome. Thank you. Folks, my guest today, Grant Morgan, who's the CEO and co-founder at R0. Very cool learnings today in terms of how to structure your organization, how to capitalize on an opportunity and how to really understand the environment around you to help you and your team be successful. So if you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to rate it five stars or whatever you think the rating should be. And then if you want to hear more podcasts like this, be sure to like and subscribe. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for watching and until next time. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. Before you go, I wanted to make sure that you knew about our signature course that will help you better align your team and get them bought into your strategic plan. It's presented really simply that whether you're a seasoned veteran or brand new to strategic planning, it'll help you better understand it. It'll help your team think more strategically and it'll help you better prioritize and set goals. Ultimately, it's going to give you a plan that you can execute successfully. 
because you have no idea how many plans that I see that look good, but are missing key components to make them successful. And we cover all of those missteps in the course. On top of all the video training, you'll get access to all of our workbooks and access to our knowledge base and community. The course is only $4.95 and you can get instant access to all of the videos. Plus you can use the code podcast for $100 off. The course comes with a 100% money back guarantee. If you don't get value from the course, let us know and we'll give you all of your money back. So go to smestrategy.net slash course. Use the code podcast for $100 off, and I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to support you and your team in getting alignment and moving your strategic plan forward. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.